When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, it is the wee hours of the morning on Friday. It is a busy day for your good friend and host because uh, I'm going to try to get a few hours sleep. Then I'll be signing books at the FCA fundraiser there at the mill in Starkville. So if you're in town, come by, say hello, get some books. All of the books will be available for purchase there too. So come by and check those out. And uh, we can get you going. If you can't make it to town, you're looking for books. We have been able to kind of secure some additional inventory to kind of bridge us through until the uh, second printing arrives. Uh, many of you have, have asked and said, Steve, I'll just wait for the second printing. But uh, you don't have to wait. Uh, we have gotten a couple of uh, a couple a few other cases. So I guess we probably got, I don't know, maybe 200 books or so available right now. I don't know if that gets us to June. You know, but between what we have in stores and what we have in the uh, now secured in the warehouse, we think we can get you guys going. And of course, uh, we got some vendors out there we can always borrow some books from and replenish uh, their inventory when the second printing comes in. But uh, books doing really, really well. I want to thank you guys so much for your support of that. I, I bump in a lot of people and they say, Steve, I've read the book. It's uh, it's a great book. And uh, I ran into Casey Hunt's dad before the ball game on Thursday. And he stopped me and thanked me, and uh, man, he's such a great guy. I'm really happy for that family. And he goes, man, Steve, what a gift this book is to our baseball family, and not just you know the baseball parents and players, but all those that are invested in Mississippi State baseball. And, you know, it means a lot, man. It really does to hear from all of you, but also, too, from our baseball parents, you know, because uh, I believe this is a book that is a keepsake that uh, you guys are going to want to keep forever. And, and I'll walk through Duty Noble sometimes, and people are like, hey, Steve, I need to get the book. Where can I get it? Uh, it is available in a lot of places right now. Of course, uh, you can order at dogpilethebook.com. But if you're in Starkville, you can get it at Liza Tie. You can get it at Campus Bookmart. You can get it at the Lodge. Uh, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it downtown at Bookmart and Cafe. Uh, you can get it there in the Jackson area at Lemuria Books. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at both college corner locations. If you're in Vicksburg, you can get it at Lorelei. If you're in the Delta, you can get it at Turnrow Books. And so uh, it's out there and available. Of course, you're, if you're in Columbus, you can go by Friendly City Books. What a great bookstore that is as well. And so I'm so incredibly appreciative of everybody that carries the books. And uh, it's difficult to keep up sometimes. And, um, you know, between the Bulldog baseball schedule and in my own signing schedule, sometimes, it, you know, I, I feel a little stretched thin. I do. I'm still very loyal to these shows and uh, always determined, even if I have to bring my gear on the road, to get you guys shows done on schedule, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, but, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And uh, I will share with you guys again because uh, the inventory levels on Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs are deplenishing. And, again, they will not be in print the rest of this year. So whatever's out there in stores – is all that's going to be available. To, to guarantee that you get a signed or personalized copy, 
Uh, you can order those from dogpilethebook.com. And, and it's less than 100 Stark villains and now less than 200 alpha dogs. As I mentioned last time, you know, we're kind of getting to the end of this thing. And I want to keep you guys abreast of that. Except some people would say, hey, see, if I got Flim Flam, I got Dogpile, I'll eventually get the other ones. And so to guarantee you get them, you need to make a move sooner rather than later. And then just about every book signing that I go to, people ask about Blooms of Oleander. Hey, Steve, I don't have that one yet. And sometimes I don't have them with me. Some, to be honest with you, sometimes I forget. I, I get busy. I'm so eager to get out the door. And so go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, or check with your local bookstore. Many of the bookstores I mentioned earlier have Blooms of Oleander. And if they don't, of course, you can order it online. Uh, very excited about that. And recently, we've had a big run on those books. And uh, I don't know what's happened. But all of a sudden, you know, I get the sales reports, and uh, we had a really good month last month, and off to a really good start this month. So, and that's a book now. It's been out now uh, since June and was on the bestseller list for a long time. And, you know, let me share with you this, too. There's so many people out there that have come up and said, hey, you know, Steve, uh, you know, not a big reader, but I love your books. And uh, that means a lot to me, too. And I encourage you, too, maybe. Maybe once you've read all my books, uh, pick up some other stuff. You know, we've got some other folks out there. You know, From Hero to Zero is that great book uh, that Twig Branch had written. I wrote a story about that recently. And, uh, you know, be sure and check that out. You know, and uh, if you're looking for kids' books, uh, I love the book that Miss Bell wrote about um, uh, Fiorella, I Love You, Flaws and All. It is a great children's book. Uh, you can you know, Google that. You can find it at many of the same great bookstores around the, the wonderful state of Mississippi. But I encourage you to, with, you know, Mother's Day coming up, Father's Day coming up, and, and you know, kids, you know, you know, reading books is always an important part. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we had this great big Bible story book, and uh, it was, you know, basically it was a one-pager, if you know what I'm saying. Like, there'd be this, it was a really big, 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 big book. And my mom would read one of those Bible stories uh, to me and my brother every night. And uh, I, I learned to read by listening to her and following those words. And uh, I believe that made a big difference, you know, in the early years of my schooling because I was able to, I, you know, I hit the ground running. I already knew how to read before I started school. And, uh, and to be honest with you, in the beginning, school was, uh, was kind of boring for me. And, and there was actually some talk when I was in the first grade that they might advance me a year. And uh, I don't say that out of pride or, or haughtiness or anything like that, but uh, I give my mom a lot of credit for reading to me as a kid. And my mom would bring me, uh, and my grandmother especially, would take me right across the way there in Columbia, Mississippi. I lived with my grandparents when I was really young. And we'd go to the Marion Public Library, Marion County Public Library. And when I was just a kid, it was just basically in an old house. And they built that wonderful facility uh, they're on the corner of Park and, um, and uh, Broad Street there. And we'd go over for story time. And I was always so excited to go in there because it always smelled so neat and the bookstores were so great. And then uh, it's pretty amazing to me now that I got five books on the shelf in my hometown library. And it uh, means an awful lot to me. But it's one of those things where you kind of, uh, there's a cycle out there. You know, it's like I, I used to go and as a consumer at the Marion Public Library. And then now I'm, I'm a contributor to that same library. It means an awful lot to me. And you guys have been so wonderful to support me. And uh, I, I wanted to get that out there early in the show because I get messages every single day because not everybody that follows me listens to the show. I know that seems kind of silly, but it's the truth. A lot of people just aren't podcast people. And so 
they know me from Gene's page or through Facebook or you know being on radio shows and things like that. So if you know people that are looking for the books, you can find them. And again, I encourage you to, with the holidays coming up, I am confident uh, before that second printing arrives in June that we will run out of books, even if we bridge some things together. Because uh, with some holidays coming up, people are going to be spending some money and, you know, buy for yourself. You know, that, that's the thing, too. There's so much of that, too, that uh, we get so busy taking care of other people, we don't always do a lot for ourselves. And that's a lesson that I learned, you know, really more in recent years. Like, I, I, I will spend some money on myself. You know, when I've, I've got two girls in college, and, and they have no uh, – you know, qualms about spending money, but I'll tell you this, they're, they're really self-sufficient in many respects, and I've done a really nice job, I think, of uh, putting together a really nice collection of, of Mississippi State memorabilia, and as I sit here and talk to you guys, I'm admiring uh, some new baseball cards that I have added to my collection. I've got thousands of those cards, but, um, you know, recently added a Boo Ferris rookie card and a Willie Mitchell card, and then I got a signed picture of Coach Paul Gregory, uh, I got a Hugh Critz card, you know, and those things may not mean much to maybe avid collectors, but as a Mississippi State baseball guy, they mean an awful lot to me. I mean an awful lot to me. I, I got a picture uh, earlier this week of Bunny Hearn uh, pitching at Yankee Stadium. You know, couldn't find a baseball card for him, but I found that picture and thought, this is really neat. I'd like to have this. And so, I, yeah, you go buy it. And uh, I'm very grateful for uh, for you guys really kind of giving me the financial wherewithal to do that sort of stuff. But uh, they mean an awful lot to me. And, you know, I, I think at some point about my own mortality, what will I do with all this stuff? And I'm sure my, my kids will, will gladly take it. But, uh, you know, if they don't, maybe we'll gift it all to the university. You know, at some point, I, my hope is that John Cohen will build a museum. I have told him of that as well. I said, we need to have a baseball museum at Mississippi State. We need to embrace that. And we need to be able to put our stuff out there. And, you know, we've got so much rich tradition in college baseball. And, you know, let's just kind of own it. You know, I, I know we have dedicated a lot of time, effort, and resources for Duty Noble Field. But uh, it would be awfully nice to be able to have, you know, a museum where we could kind of showcase our baseball tradition. And that dates back to 1885. And I, and I'm, I guess in some ways I'm kind of partial uh, to many of those older – teams because I don't know that we talk enough about them and I uh, had somebody reach out to me and say hey Steve I really miss those uh, diamond dog tales articles you used to write and and then the bulldog heroes you talked about on the show and so uh, we're going to bring that feature back uh, here on the show very very soon I, I didn't really have time to kind of prepare today but I can talk about Mississippi State baseball whenever and, and I, I love uncovering little things you know, Mississippi State is my life in many respects. And I always feel like if something is important to me or if there's something that I find that is really neat, is somebody who kind of sees it all and does it all and has heard it all, I figure you guys are interested as well. And, uh, you know, I'll give you a quick one real quick. Like Bunny Hearn, you say, well, Steve, who's Bunny Hearn? Well, Bunny Hearn was a guy that transferred to Mississippi State from Elon. And then he comes to Mississippi State, and he was a dominant pitcher for us, really, really hard-throwing left-hander. Ends up playing six years in the major leagues, nearly 400 major league innings. Didn't have a, a stellar record, but he had big stuff and hung around for a long time and eventually went to work as a scout and a minor league manager, even did some semi-pro stuff. Found his way to North Carolina and became the head baseball coach at North Carolina. He, if I remember correctly, he was a Boone, North Carolina native. 
And so he ends up there at UNC and then leaves again to go coach pro baseball, goes back and then stays, you know, almost the balance of his career and uh, became for a while the winningest coach in the history of North Carolina baseball. And he's a bulldog. And I didn't know that, you know. And so when I uncovered that kind of stuff, I said, man, this is really neat. And it's not just, you know, material for the show, but it's stuff that I like to know myself. I really am fascinated by the fact that we've had so many great baseball figures in our history. And I commend our administration for doing the Ron Polk Ring of Honor. And it's not just limited to players that played in the Polk era. You know, I'm really happy to hear, too, that uh, Frank Montgomery is a guy that uh, is going to be honored here sooner rather than later. Uh, I think a lot of Frank had a chance to sit at Obie's with him one day and just talk baseball for a while. And he shared something with me I think is very profound. He goes, you know, Steve, the worst thing that ever happened to pitching? I said, what's that, Frank? He said the radar gun. You know, and uh, he said, you know, we have a lot of people that are hard throwers, but they don't know how to pitch. And that's true. You, you go look at the career that Greg Maddox had. You know, what did Greg top out at? 91, 92 on a good day when he had a big breakfast, you know. But he knew how to change speeds. He worked both sides of the plate. And the guy could really pitch. And, and one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game, certainly in my lifetime. And uh, so I respect that. But, uh, you know, Frank Montgomery's a guy that held the school record for a long time for wins in a season. That was surpassed by Ross Mitchell back in 2013. And so you look at that and say, you know what, hey, this was a historic season by Ross. But what about the guy who held it, you know, for, for a better part of uh, 50, 60 years? You know, so it's good to be able to honor those people, and I think it's fabulous. I absolutely think it is spectacular, the job that we do uh, honoring our former Diamond Dogs and uh, probably need to do more of that, and uh, it is a passion of mine. So enjoy sharing that information with you, and we'll do a little bit more of that on the show. You know, we've got the summertime coming up too, so uh, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I will be in there at this point this weekend sometime. I don't know, maybe Saturday. We'll see. We'll see how things go. And I think it's important for you guys to know that uh, Bulldog Burger Company is a place that is committed to making sure you have the best dining experience possible. Great food at a great price with great service in great locations. And three of them to now serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, that's a flagship. And then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and the brand new one, the Lake Harbor Drive location there in central Mississippi. Go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. If you're looking for a great restaurant-quality hamburger, you're not going to find one better anywhere else. It's as simple as that. I love the place. You will, too. Bring the kids. Let them get the chocolate shake to go. That way they're bouncing off the walls later. And maybe treat yourself to that Shipway's Donut Bread Pudding. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. By now you are aware that Mississippi State won an intercollegiate college baseball game against the University of Auburn. Uh, really, really big win for State. You know, we've talked a couple times, hey, this is a season-saving type situation, and then we go out and lose a game we shouldn't. You know, we had that awful weekend last weekend against LSU. And uh, a lot of people said, hey, you know what, hey, we, we need to find a way to win this series and possibly sweep. We have put ourselves in a position to do that, uh, not just because of how well we played, but because the game was still somewhat in question Auburn had to burn through some pretty quality arms here. And uh, you get their best starter, their best long reliever, and their best closer on Thursday and stay able to kind of make that thing work out. And, and Blake Barkhalter, the closer, threw 42 pitches, likely burned for the weekend. Carson Skipper threw 47 or so. 
uh, likely that he's done too. Now, now, Auburn has some arms. You know, Butch Thompson's always going to have some. But uh, we took Auburn's best shot on Thursday, and we win the ball game. Let's take a look now and recap that. Uh, top of one, Brandon Smith, I, I thought Brandon, especially on short rest, was outstanding. And I share with some people after the ball game, Brandon Smith, his insertion into the weekend rotation may be the difference in us making a regional and not. Because Brandon Smith is going to give you three competitive starters on the weekend. And that's not to say that some other guys don't want it really bad or that they're not willing to get out there and compete. But Brandon is a guy that executes pitches. Brandon's not a guy that walks people. Brandon's a guy that lets the defense work. And that's what he did tonight. And um, I am really, really excited about the prospects of Brandon Smith on the weekend. Uh, top of one, Brandon gets one, two, three here. We get Rambush to ground out. Howell grounds out to short. And then DeShera flies out to right center. And when Brandon is on his game, it's ground out and ground out and ground out and ground out. And he was on his game tonight. There were a couple times he elevated some pitches, and he paid for it one time. But by and large, Brandon pitched his game. And when Brandon pitches his game, Mississippi State has a really good chance to win the game. Bottom of one, Brandon gets some help from the offense. And uh, really, State gets some help you know, from Hayden Mullins there. Talked about him when we preview in the series about he is the guy that will walk you. Entered the ball game with a 2-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio and then really walked a lot of hitters here uh just simply just didn't have it and that happens sometimes too even to the best of us you, know, you get out there and you may be prepared and have a good scouting report but for some reason you just can't execute pitches and he really struggled to find the zone early in that first inning he walks rj yeager on five pitches and then walks cam james on four and so we start eight of nine pitches out of the strike zone, and a lot of those pitches were not close. I thought the strike zone was rather interesting tonight because it kind of evolved over time. I thought it was very inconsistent for both teams, and it's easy to say that when you lose. I thought Auburn struggled a little bit with a tight zone at times, but in the first, Mullins just wasn't strong. Luke Hancock then uh, follows up with a single right back up the middle to load the bases, and I turned to Mike Nemeth here, and I said, Mike, if we get the big hit here, we are going to win this game. I know it's the first inning. I know there's a lot of baseball left to be played. But, you know, it's when we have failed to get the big hit early, it has been a harbinger of things to come. In this situation, Logan Tanner comes through with a very sharp single through the left side there, and it scores R.J. Yeager. And then you begin to think, too, okay, we've got that run home. We've got to get something more on the board here. We can't afford to just sit here and – uh, let this opportunity fall by the wayside, especially when we know runs are going to be at a premium in a first game of an SEC series. Uh, Hunter Hines then flies out to right field. He nearly hit that ball out of the ballpark. I mean, he just missed it. He absolutely murdered that pitch and hit it more on a line with a little less loft on it. And so as a result, it ends up being a sack fly RBI. It is now 2 nothing. Then Slade Alford struck out swinging, not one of his better at-bats, but he's going to be fine. And then uh, Kellum Clark grounds out the first unassisted. Thought that uh, actually that went off his foot. He kind of argued that it did. They, they ruled that it did and didn't even review it. But again, we get a couple runs here. Could have been a bigger inning. And I think we kind of let him off the hook a little bit here. But uh, either way, Brandon Smith goes out there with a 2 nothing lead. And Brandon again goes right to work. Now we give up a single right back up the middle. You think, okay, well, here we go. Nope. Next thing you know, we roll up a ground play, a double play ball, and it is a four six to three double play. 
and then we get Pierce to ground out. So we face the minimum there in the second. So two innings in, Brandon Smith has faced the minimum. Bottom of two, Mullins begins to kind of calm down a little bit here, and you think, okay, well, you know, maybe this is how the game's going to set up here. Kumba strikes out swinging, and, and actually a really good at bat there, even though we didn't get uh, the ball in play there. Uh, I thought he did a pretty good job battling. They just He just kind of beat him on a 2-2 count. Forsyth struck out looking. Not a great at bat for him either. He fouls the ball off, takes the ball. We get down 1-2, and we take one away. That It was clearly a strike. And then Jaeger flies out to right field. Actually hit the ball pretty well there. Just got under it a little bit. So it's a 1-2-3 inning for the Bulldogs. Top of third. Brandon right back out here. And, again, we get a ground out to open the inning. And it was a lengthy at bat. We get up 0-2, and the next thing you know, it's a full count. But rather than give in, we get the ground out to third. Slate Alford makes a nice play here. Uh, LaRue, the catcher who was hitting less than 200, just kind of runs into one, gets Auburn on the board, makes it a 2-1 ball game. Bellow then grounds out the short, and Rambush grounds out the short to second. You know, so here we go. You know, we've gotten through the order one time and um, only had really one ball elevated with any pace. You know, Deshara flew out, you know, pretty high fly ball there. And then LaRue. Uh, does a good job kind of getting under one there. We just caught too much to plate there. But the reality of it is, Brandon, the first time through, allows the one run. You think, okay, if we can get through the second time, just allowing the one run, we're probably in good shape. Bottom of third, Mullins again kind of loses his own here. We walk Cam James on four pitches. And think about that, Cam James, two at-bats, and uh, did not see a strike the first two ABs. Hancock then walks, and again, now all of a sudden – You've got them on the ropes. You've got to find a way to make this thing happen. Logan Tanner then uh, grounds into a double play. Didn't get the sharp single this time. And just kind of unlucky here, he pulls the ball right to the third baseman who steps on the bag and fires across. They they get the double play. And you think, okay, we need a two-out base hit. We've really struggled at times to get these. And Hunter Hines, the guy that has struggled uh, here as of late, comes through. You know, he had the big home run on Tuesday. And here he is again in an important situation. He singles back up the middle on an 0-2 count, and, and Mullins is getting too much of the plate here. Gets ahead 0-2 on back-to-back called strikes, and then Hines rifles one back up the middle, and Luke comes around to score to make it 3-1. Uh, and then um, they have the play there where the ball's in the dirt, and I thought this was one of those plays, too, where it basically boiled down to what the, the call on the field. It was a bang-bang play. Hines reads in the dirt, takes off, and he's not the most fleet-of-foot guy. I thought he got in there, but when you see the replay, it's basically an instantaneous type deal. His hand goes in, and they tag the helmet. So basically, whatever was called on the field was going to stand. It's not irrefutable evidence there to overturn the call. So we're out of the inning. Uh, top of four, Brandon now with a two-run lead for the second time in the ballgame. Gets a ground out to third from Howell. DeShera then walks. We kind of pitched around him, and I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. And Deshara has been really hot for them. That's the former Sanford first baseman. Had the big home run against us in the regional last year. Uh, But by and large, we have pitched him really well the last couple of years. Carlson and singles up the middle when you think, okay, now we're in trouble. we got a couple of guys on. Uh, you got the heart of the order coming up. But then Moore grounds out to third. And then Pierce grounds out to second. So, again, Brandon on his game. We get into trouble. What does he do? He gets that sinker working and getting under some barrels and having guys beat the ball in the ground. And I really thought the defense looked really confident with Brandon on the mound. 
And when you are a defender, you want a guy that works fast, you want a guy that's around the plate, and you want a guy that's going to get soft contact and give you some routine ground balls. Even a couple of these hits, you know, were ground balls that just happened to find a hole. But uh, Brandon, really good through four innings here. Bottom of four. Again, stayed a little bit of an opportunity here. We don't get the big hit. Offered flies out to right field, and then they walk Kellum Clark on four pitches. Cumbus flies out the center and actually barreled that ball up really well, just a little bit under it there, hit it really well. And uh, that was just one of those things, too. You know, Brad's a guy that's been scuffing a little bit, too, but uh, even though he had the strikeout earlier, you kind of get the sense he's starting to see the baseball a little bit better because early in the year, people would test him with a fastball, and then he would embarrass them. So he's not seeing a lot of those early encounters. Uh, Forsyth and singles to right field, and you know, the hottest hitter in baseball, right? Uh, singles to right field. Clark goes to second. So now we've got runners at first and second uh, with two outs, and really a terrible at bat from R.J. Yeager. He will tell you the same. Three consecutive breaking balls on the dirt. We chase all three of them. I don't know what's in the scouting report, but they clearly found something they thought they could exploit. We absolutely could not lay off those pitches. And that, in that situation there, Jaeger gets a hit. You know, it changes the complexion of the ball game Because now all of a sudden, you know, now it's not a two-run game. It's at least three, possibly four, even five-run game. But uh, nevertheless, we strike out swinging, and one of those swings was just kind of a wave. I mean, it's like, you know, what we've already committed the swing. It was not a competitive swing. One of the worst at-bats RJ has had. He'll tell you the same. And the, the difference is we pick him up later in the ballgame. Okay, top of five, this turned out to be, uh, you know, Brandon's last inning. We give up the double to right field, and uh, it's just kind of one of those things, man. I mean, the guy does a good job of hitting, gets gets ahead in the count 1-0, and then lifts the ball out there to right field. LaRue then grounds out the second. The runner takes third. So now you begin to think, okay, I've got a runner at third and less than two outs in a two-run ball game. I just need a ground ball on the right side or a routine fly ball, and I can score this game, make it a one-run game. That's exactly what they get. Bellow uh, grounds out the second, pushes that ball to the right side on a full count, and Foster just walks in and scores. And so now you're thinking, okay, we're, we're okay. We're okay. We'll get out of this. Well, we give up back-to-back singles, and, uh, you know, Brandon was beginning to fade a little bit. This is a guy that's thrown, what, about 189 pitches here in about 10 days. That's a lot. Rambush singles to center field, and Howell singles to the left side. And now you've got a jam. But rather than give in here, we got to share it or ground out the short. And uh, that's their guy. And that's his moment. He comes in thinking, hey, you know, I'm leading this team at home runs with 11. I'm leading this team in batting average, hitting well over 400. And I've got to come through in these moments. And Brandon wins the battle and really just kind of gutted out there. I mean, just kind of got by on just good old-fashioned guts. And we get out of the inning – uh, without any further damage. So it's a 3-2 ball game, and you would love to have gotten one more inning from Brandon, but you probably don't want to push, push him too much. So Carson Skipper comes in in the bottom of five for, for Auburn. Not a great day for Hayden Mullins, but uh, considering the walks that he had, we didn't maybe make him pay as handsomely as we should have. Skipper on top of his game, too, and he does a great job of hiding that fastball. It's not an overpowering fastball. He's 88, 89, but he hides it really well, and he lets it go late. He's a guy with, you know, long arms, and uh, one of our players kind of compared him to Ethan Small in many respects. That he, just, he really gets on you quick. And you could see, you say, man, how are we so late on these fastballs, 88, 89? And that's why. It's just mechanically he does some things that kind of shields the view of the hitter. 
and uh, has that has that that slow breaking pitch that gets deep in his own. It's tough to lay off that thing, and uh, the guy's really really good. I'm kind of glad we got him out of the way now, uh, but he gets a one two three inning. James grounds out to short Hancock back to the pitcher, and then Tanner uh, grounds out to short, and a good at bat there for LT as well. You know we get down in that count one two and just foul off you know four two strike pitches over and over and over again and you think okay well he's on it now and then he ends up grounding out to short there but uh, again uh, you know quality of bat even though we don't yield a base runner from it all right top of six we bring in bring in brooks auger and brooks has kind of been up and down as of late um and very concerned about him right now not gonna lie about it i'm very concerned about him uh understand he's got some tightness don't think it's a ucl deal but you don't know until there's an mri you just don't know you just don't know so we'll see I know you guys are eager to hear what's going on. I am too. But as Chris Lamont has said in postgame, you know, if they don't feel right, we're not going to we're not gonna take any chances with them. And after the bad luck we've had this year pitching, um, you just kind of hold your breath in a situation like this. But uh, I've met Brooks' family and, and met Brooks. He's just a fabulous young man. Glad he's a part of our family and hope that uh, it's not anything serious. But he gets Carlson to strike out looking, really gets ahead there, and then kind of does what he wants to do. You, know, you get ahead in one-two count. And uh, you can kind of make the, the guy hit your pitch. And uh, an advantage pitch there, Auger takes advantage. Then we walk more on four pitches. You start thinking, okay, here we go. This is kind of Auburn's lucky inning, right? So we walk a guy, and then there is a fielding error at third. And uh, this is one of those deals where it's pretty much a routine ball, but you know, discretion's a better part of Valor. And he takes a peek at second. This is Offord we're talking about. So it offered fields it clean, takes a look at second. There's no play there. And then he kind of loses the handle, gets it back, throws to first. The throw is not in time. He is charged with an error, which was the right call. It was going to be a close play, and I think that peak at second basically cost you. You make the play there, the complexion of this inning is completely different. Completely different. Because that's a second out. Then you give up a single to third base, you know, basically – this is a swing and bunt here that just kind of trickles out there. There's no play to be made. It's nobody's fault. It's just one of those things that happens. But now you've got runners there. Um, you know, it's a mess. You know, you've had to walk. You've got an error. and You've got a swing and bunt. And you look up and the bases are loaded. Then we walk in a run. It's like, oh, my gosh. Here, here it goes. The game is now tied. We get Bello to strike out swinging, and this is a great job by your pitcher here. He gets ahead in the count and then finishes the guy. Even in this situation here, okay, I, I just walked the guy. I've got to be around his own. Not a single ball in his count. Gets ahead 0-2 and then gets a couple fouls and then finishes him swinging. And it was a great effort there. Rambush does makes his pay, though, with two outs. Singles to right field, a couple runs score. It's now a 5-3 ball game. And again, I go back. This is, you know, young guys. There's going to be some up and down defensively with young guys. You know, Bello is the last out in the inning if we make that play to first. So the other stuff doesn't happen. We get out of this thing tied. But instead, the inning is extended because of the error. And lo and behold, the leadoff hitter comes through with a big base hit, big two-out base hit there uh, to make it 5-3. He did a great job of hitting then you get Howell to fly out to center field, and you, you begin to think there's all of these self-inflicted issues in this inning. And, yes, you give Auburn credit for the big hit, but we kind of put them in a situation where they uh, they had some traffic on the bases they didn't necessarily earn. 
Bottom of six, you know, when the last thing you need here is a one, two, three inning. They have snatched momentum away from us. And to be honest with you, up until this point, we have really kind of controlled this baseball game. And the next thing you know, one bad inning here, you know, we get a walk and a bad error. Next thing you know, we're in trouble. They take full advantage. And we couldn't snatch the momentum back right away. Hines flies out the center. Alford then flies out to right field. And then uh, Clark strikes out swinging. But a good at bad for KC. You know, good at bat here. And you say, well, Steve, how's it a good at bat when he strikes out? I mean, this is he worked the count and really swang at his pitches. And you give Skipper some credit uh, for getting him. But, again, same situation. Lefty on lefty deal there. And uh, that's just going to be about experience. And, and not just any lefty. Carson Skipper is a really good pitcher. Okay, top seven. You know, we're starting to run out of outs here. And you know at this point that uh, Auburn's thinking, you know, if we can get anything here, get an insurance run, it, it makes life a whole lot easier on us. Deshara strikes out swinging, and what a great job from Auger. I mean, really, really barrels down here and gets their best guy to case swinging. And then we get Carlson the ground out to short, and the next thing you know, the trainer's out there on the field attending to Brooks Auger, and it's a scene that has become far too familiar for Mississippi State fans. Nobody's happy to see that under any stretch. It's like you begin to think, okay, we're finally starting to get some guys in the bullpen that can eat up a few innings. We're still not anywhere where we need to be. But all of a sudden, one of the guys has become one of your most reliable relievers is leaving the field prematurely. Uh, you bring in Drew Talley, and uh, really a good job here. I mean, granted, there's nobody on base. We're just trying to get out of the inning. It's a five-pitch at bat, and uh, a little hop, skip, and a jump there from Drew Talley as he gets more to strike out swinging. Felt that that was a big moment in the ball game, and rather than us pout and feel sorry for ourselves, I really think Drew kind of gave us a little bit of an emotional lift. We come back out in the seventh, and, you know, Brad's a guy, too. I mentioned he's been scuffling. He hit a ball well earlier in this ball game, And Skipper basically lets a fastball get belt high, and Brad Cumbus absolutely crushed this baseball. I mean, absolutely crushes this baseball. And at that point, I start thinking, you know what, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game because now the momentum is all back on the Mississippi State side. Just that one swing, the crowd's back into the ball game because we're all kind of, you know, you're kind of shocked at that point with what's going on with Brooks Auger, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what does this mean for the rest of our season? Well, Brad Cumbus is like, you know what, we'll worry about that tomorrow. i got to go out here and get a run for you. Then Lane Forsythe strikes out swinging, and, again, it's just, this is a great at bat, and it turned out to be a huge strikeout for Auburn. Uh, we worked the count full here, and uh, really a nice job from Lane kind of extending the at-bat here. And I thought we had Carson shook up a little bit. He does battle back to get the K. And then the very first pitch that R.J. Yeager hits is almost the same level of home run that, that, that Cumbus hits. And now the game is tied. And how clutch is R.J. Yeager and him being in the leadoff spot? Think about where he is. This guy's got ten bombs now, and he's hit three basically in eight days. The guy is absolutely rolling right now and, and, and becoming the player that we expect him to be when we signed him as a transfer. Cannon strikes out swinging and uh, got him on the breaking ball late. And that, it's so difficult to pick up. It is. And sometimes our guys are just really good. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't understand what we're swinging at. Well, you've never went up there and stared down, you know, you know, 90 mile an hour fastball and then seen a guy throw a breaking ball with a bunch of bite out of the same arm slot with the same uh, arm speed. Sometimes, sometimes they just get you. Then Hancock grounds out to third. But we have at least tied the game here in the seventh. You think, okay, we're good. We're good. All right, Pico Cone comes in in the, uh, in the eighth. 
we get Pierce to fly out, really a, a short pop up out there to, to short right field. And then Foster gets his revenge. Lengthy at bat here. Pico struggled to finish him, and uh, he homers to left field. An absolute tank makes it 6-5 Auburn. Now we're not quite so optimistic, are we? LaRue pops up to first base. Luke has it. They pinch it with Farquhar, who grounds out to short to end the inning. But the damage is done. You know, we've, we have scratched and clawed and found our way back here to tie the game. And then with one swing of the bat, we're down to run again. Bottom eight, State has a chance to answer. We really kind of go quietly here in the eighth. And this is, you know, this is a segment of the, the order. We need to find some production. Logan Tanner grounds out to third. Again, a pretty decent at bat. LT didn't have a whole lot to show for the day except for that RBI single early going. But I, I, I never at any point thought that LT was overmatched or anything like that. Just sometimes that you know, just couldn't get the, the bad head out on the ball and make a solid contact. But he grounds out to third here. Hind uh, strikes out swinging, and I really thought there was the he get that Buckhalter got the benefit of a bad call. Buckhalter's in the game for Skipper now, trying to close this thing out. I thought Buckhalter on the uh, on the one one pitch that ball was clearly away. They call it a strike, and we foul one off and strike out swinging. And uh, and Hunter takes that stuff real seriously. Got, that kid cares, and I, I've told you guys on Wednesday. These guys are the future of this program, and I like what I see from a mental toughness standpoint from some of these younger guys. Uh, we pinch hit for Slade Alford to set up the uh, righty-lefty matchup, and uh, you bring in Siebert, and we get a strikeout swinging here. I thought it was a decent at bat. I, I thought once we got ahead there, he did a good job mixing pitches, and you, know, you got an inexperienced guy up there. We just we struggled to put the bat on the ball. But I uh, still think Von Siebert's going to be a great player for us. All right, we go to the ninth. We uh, make a defensive alignment change here. You know, Cam James is starting in center field for the second consecutive game. Uh, he goes to third, and uh, Skinner comes in in Seabird's spot and takes over in center. Parker Stinnett comes out there, and I know everybody's kind of holding the breath. But Parker did a great job. He really did. Had a good outing on Tuesday and had a good outing today. Gives up a single to the shortstop on a uh, you know, pretty lengthy at bat here. But rather than fold – Parker did a great job. We get a pop up to third. We get a uh, we throw we throw the guy out at second too. It's one of those things too. Uh, Rambush takes off. The throw is actually to the left of the second base bag. And what a great tag by RJ. You know he grabs the ball short of the bag, and then as he's kind of stumbling, he gets a tag down. And the guy was out by about ten feet. I mean, if it, if it's a perfect throw, it's uh, it's it's one of those things that you put on the highlight reel at the end of the year, and everybody's like, man, what in the world was he thinking? Uh, then Deshera, you know, that's, that's a big thing, too. And it's kind of silly, too, in hindsight. You know, you've got the one-run lead here. You're trying to get some insurance, and your best hitter is at the plate, and you send the runner, and now all of a sudden there's two outs. Deshera then does come through and singles to right field, and then Carlson walks. But we get more to pop up behind the plate there. And LT, a great job there. I thought that ball was going to go off the screen. He didn't give up on it. And lo and behold, he makes it. I mean, just short of the screen there. But, uh, again, Sinet, a little bit up and down in the inning. A little bit up and down here. I mean, um, you, you give up you know, three, three base runners in the inning. And you kind of live to tell about it. Um, so, bottom of nine, this is where the excitement really takes place here for Mississippi State. Pretty exciting time here. 
Kellum Clark works and works and works and works account and gets a leadoff walk. And at that point, you start thinking, you know what? We got a real shot here. We're only down one. What if Cumbus can get a hold of another one? Well, he doesn't. He actually hits a tailor-made ground ball to second base, and they boot it. You remember that inning earlier where we, you know, we, we give up a walk and then we make an error? Well, here's the baseball guys paying us back. Now, all of a sudden, there's runners at first and second, so you know at this point there is no doubt you're going to bunt. You bring in Tanner Leggett. It's a pinch, a pinch hitter, the best bunter on the team. The first bunt attempt fouled straight back, but then uh, he takes the ball up and then does a great job getting the bunt down. It was a really good bunt. He actually had a, made it really interesting at first. But now all of a sudden you've got the tying and the winning run in scoring position with less than two outs. Well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, Butch Thompson's no idiot. We're going to walk Yeager here to load the bases and set up a force at any base. Well, they do. And in the middle of all of that, uh, so there is a wild pitch. And Kellum Clark, and again, Kellum's not the fastest kid, but he gets down the line a headfirst slide just ahead of the tag. And they got a pretty good carom off the wall there. You know, it's just one of those things, too. It's like when you see it come back and think, oh, my gosh, here we go. But what a great job by Kellum, number one, to read it, but two, make a very, very good slide and get in there. The game at this point is tied. You think, you know what, now we got runners at second and third with less than two outs. All we got to do is put a ball in play somewhere. Got a really good chance here to win this ball game, walk this thing off. Well, of course, they walk Cam James because they have a base open and set up the force again. And then if you're Auburn, you got the worst guy in the world up there. I mean, the absolute worst guy in the world to face in that situation is Luke Hancock. You remember last year? I mean, State basically beat Kentucky with Luke Hancock getting the RBI sack fly last year. Over and over and over. He's a team first guy. And he is a trained assassin at the plate. Doesn't strike out much, so you feel like he's going to put the ball in play. More times than not in a situation like this, he's going to find a way to elevate that ball, make it a routine uh, you know, tag from third. And uh, – so we get ahead in the count 2-0, and well, now you got to come through him, and he throws the fastball by him. And it was kind of a longer swing. I thought Luke actually got his hands out away from his body a little bit. It wasn't the, the contact swing we're, we're normally used to seeing. Well, then you get a ball, and it's 3-1, so you know you're going to get a fastball. And again, he throws a fastball by him again. At this point, I'm starting to get a little concerned. Is Luke just not seeing this thing? Because neither of those swings were really close. Well, they come back again. Now it's a full count. You don't have anywhere to put him, so you got you got to give in and give him a fastball. And this time, Luke is on it. So now we foul that pitch back. Well, okay, we got on a payoff pitch coming. He brings the fastball again, and again, now Luke is on it. We're fouling this thing back, and you begin to think, man, here we go. Here we go. So – he, I don't know if, if he just realized he couldn't finish him with the fastball. I'm just not exactly sure, you know, what his thought process was. But this is their closer, one of the best closers in college baseball. And, um, you know, the pitch. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. 
and also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Just kind of fades away. It's shortened down, and they walk into one and run, and we'll take it. We'll absolutely take it. And so State wins the game 7-6. So let's award our prime strength player of the game. Could go to a number of players, right? I mean, you look at this and you say, well, you know, you know, Steve, who's your guy? I, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. And I'm going to go with Brandon Smith. I thought Brandon Smith uh, did a very good job for Mississippi State. He goes five innings, six hits, two runs. Both of them earned one walk, no Ks. But listen to this, guys. 13 ground outs. Just the one fly out to Sonny Deshara there. 89 pitches and, again, going on short rest and just did a tremendous job uh, competing and giving Mississippi State a chance to win this ball game. Even though he didn't factor in the decision, you know, Mississippi State has the lead, you know, when he leaves and uh, pitched around some trouble there in the fifth. But uh, a nice effort for Brandon Smith. And uh, let's remind you, too, if you're looking for great quality shrimp, Prime Shrimp is your supplier for that. Deliver directly to your door. Go to primeshrimp.com, and you can order one of four flavors. Uh, Really partial to the French Quarter Alfredo, though I do like the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl flavor. Uh, It just kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for. I've got several of those pouches in there. And the best thing about that is, too, there's there's no messy prep or cleanup. Very, very simple process. You could boil your pot of water, and about 10 minutes in, you open that pouch and just dump the shrimp in. The next thing you know, 10 minutes later, you're ready to roll. 
So whether you're having a shrimp salad or maybe you're doing maybe perhaps some, uh, you know, some shrimp Alfredo, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. And there's always a money back guarantee on and orders over four pounds ship free. So the more you get, the more you save. And speaking of saving, use your promo code Boneyard to save a few bucks on that purchase too. You know, because you're one of my listeners, they're going to pass along some savings to you. That's PrimeShrimp.com, a New Orleans-based shrimping company since the 1940s. They know everything there is to know about peeling shrimp. And so you don't have to. They take care of that for you. And so you get them already peeled and uh, deveined. So they're basically ready to cook as soon as they arrive at your home. Again, that's PrimeShrimp.com. So, uh, again, thanks, Brandon, for his uh, contributions. And Mississippi State will get ready to go tomorrow. Of course, uh, Brandon Smith going on short rest. Preston Johnson will pitch uh, in Friday. And so, you've got, you know, he's going to be on his regular schedule. And I uh, saw him after the game. He's all smiles, ready to go. And the way that he has pitched, uh, you know, he pitched against LSU was outstanding. You get that kind of effort tomorrow, you're going to win the series. If he can replicate what he did last week, you're going to feel really good about life because uh, – I think Mississippi State's going to get back to where we need to be. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by Close with Blair.com. You know Blair. He's a name you know. He's a name in the industry. That's the mortgage industry. There are a lot of people out there that are envious of the fact that uh, Blair Chandler has been around for 21 years. The mortgage industry is not for everybody. Because there's a lot of disappointment in the mortgage industry. Sometimes an appraisal comes in low. Maybe the underwriters gives you some stipulations perhaps your, your borrower can't meet. It's part of the deal. It's good to have somebody that knows the pitfalls of the mortgage industry kind of navigate and do this thing with you. That's who Blair is. That's what Blair does. Visit him today at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com. Um, and so let's, uh, let's take a quick look at that. Go over there and check them out. And uh, the website itself, very, very self-explanatory. One of the things that Blair has told me too, he shared this with me earlier today. What we're finding out is that most Americans are still carrying about 35% more on their credit cards than they did pre-pandemic. People just simply had to, had to use those resources and those funds and to kind of float things along. What Maybe you just got too busy with online shopping or maybe you had to buy groceries or maybe you had to buy bill, pay bills with your credit cards. And now all of a sudden you're kind of overextended. Maybe it's time to consolidate that debt, get down to a manageable uh, payment, this one monthly payment. He can help you with that. Or maybe you need to cash out some money. But uh, don't continue to live paycheck to paycheck when you have some equity to work with. You only live once. There's no point living stressed out. Uh, give Blair Chandler a chance to, uh, to, to give you a, an opportunity to take care of that. Now, here is Blair's personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard, and he is going to pay for your appraisal. And that's about a $500 value. All right, today's top 10 list. We're back ranking albums. And to be honest with you, I didn't have time to look through the list. And I thought about, hey, who's a very popular 80s rock band that you all love? It's legendary that we can rank some albums. And uh, so Bon Jovi's had 15 studio albums. So they fit the criteria. You guys love Bon Jovi. I love Bon Jovi. I remember back uh, February 13th, 1987, we all gathered in the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, Arena 
to watch Bon Jovi and Cinderella. It was the Slippery When Wet tour. It was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Concert sold out in minutes, and we were fortunate enough to get tickets. Speaking of which, I got to order some concert tickets today. Uh, not for Bon Jovi, though. But uh, here is the top 10 Bon Jovi albums as I see them, and then my favorite song off each of these albums. That does not necessarily mean it's the biggest hit off that album. It's just a song that I think is the defining sig- single of the album. Uh, number 10, from the album The Circle, We Weren't Born to Follow. Kind of a song of empowerment. There are a lot of people, of course, that uh, that doesn't apply to, but uh, I think it's very, very catchy tunes, very up-tempo. Now, let's be honest. As John Bon Jovi has aged and Richie Sambora has left the band, I don't know that the band has the same edge. You know, maybe it's a combination of both of those things, Richie moving on and John kind of mellowing out a little bit. I don't know. But, um, you know, some of the stuff in the letter catalog is very good, and some of it just kind of seems okay. You know, uh, this album is has some high points, but it is one of those that's just kind of okay. Number nine, an album that's got a lot of diversity on it. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of songs on here. Some are a little more rocking. Some are a little more adult contemporary. There's some good ballads on here. And the Lost Highway album, the, the title track is outstanding. But the biggest hit on that album is the one that I like a lot, too. It's uh, Do You Want to Make a Memory? And, it, again, it's a great Bon Jovi ballad. John's really good at that sort of stuff. Um, pretty exciting song in many respects. Kind of a relationship track, you know, but uh, I think you'll dig it. Number eight, the title track from Have a Nice Day is Have a Nice Day. I think that song is great. I love the fact that they uh, brought back some guitar that is reminiscent of the early part of their career. Did a great job with that. You know, Richie did a good job on it. This was a great video, too. A lot of people are familiar with the song, but have a nice day. It's a cool one. Number seven, and this was kind of a renaissance of, in many respects for, for Bon Jovi, that when they were still playing music videos on television, different channels back then. MTV hadn't played music in, in years. Uh, but the album Crush, which I thought was kind of a shiny moment for them, kind of in the post-80s world. But the song, It's My Life, and that's that's a killer video, too. Um, It's an outstanding track. I hope that you dig it. From the Crush album, number seven, It's My Life. Number six, an album that um, I kind of discovered after the fact. I kind of got on a Bon Jovi kick for a while, and so like I would, like, once a month, I would order a new Bon Jovi album, maybe one that I wasn't familiar with. And then I would like dig it for a while, then I'd buy the next one. And uh, I remember reading some reviews about the album these days, and the reviews weren't especially kind. And a lot of that, too, is because music was changing, and I think some people didn't necessarily give honest opinions of things. They said, hey, well, these old dinosaurs from the 80s, they're done. Well, the the These Days album is incredible. It is probably one of the best albums in the catalog after the 1980s it was it's an outstanding song um this album excuse me now i could have gone with uh, one of my favorites in the catalog is something for the pain I, I love that song but my favorite song on the these days album is another ballad and it is nearly a perfect song it's this ain't a love song you know uh if i'm wrong this ain't a love song you'll you'll know it when you hear it but I love the harmony on this, and I, that's one of the things that I think John misses the most about Richie is Richie did a great job singing the harmony, 
And I think that those choruses, those big Bon Jovi choruses, are lacking without Richie Sambora. Not that they asked me. Uh, number five, the Keep the Faith album. This is kind of a hidden gem, too. Even though it did really well at times, I don't know that people really look at this one and say, hey, this is a great album. I think it is a great album, and I don't know that there's a lot of skips on this album. I believe it's a great track. Keep the Faith. The title track is great. I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. It's fun. Uh, Bed of Roses was a huge hit for them. And then Dry County is one that I don't know that gets enough respect either. But my favorite song on this album is um, In These Arms. I like the up-tempo part of it. I think John's vocal delivery is very, very good. But Keep the Faith, In These Arms, your number five song for the day. Number five album and number five song. All right, so now we're down to really the first four albums. And I think a lot of people probably would agree these are the best four albums. Uh, number The number four one for me is the self-titled debut, the Bon Jovi album. I think parts of that are really kind of uh, sophomoric and basic. I don't think they had found their sound yet. Of course, Runaway with David Bryan out there just banging out the keys. That's your song off the Bon Jovi album. And I know She Don't Know Me is one. It was kind of a carryover uh, that made the album. But um, and Shot Through the Heart was on there. But Runaway is the signature track on the Bon Jovi album. All right, number three, this is the one that really got me into Bon Jovi. Like, I was familiar with Runaway, and I bought this album, and eventually went back and bought the self-titled album. But it is the 7800 Degrees Fahrenheit album, and on this tour, they opened for Rat. Rat was out on the Invasion of Your Privacy tour, and at that point, Rat was kind of the biggest band in the world. You know, Motley was in between album cycles and kind of figuring it out with Vince. And so Rat was like the tour that year. They take John Bon Jovi and the guys out from New Jersey, and all of a sudden, Bon Jovi went from, hey, that's the band with the keyboards, to, oh, that's Bon Jovi. Those guys are really good. I could go a lot of different directions here on this album. I think, again, this is a very solid album. I don't think it's a legendary album. I do think that it is one that uh, has a lot of uh, killer tracks and not just you know filler on there, but I'm going with In and Out of Love. I love I love Tico Torres' work on this one, uh, on the drums there. The number two album in my mind is the New Jersey album. Now, the New Jersey album is another one of these that I don't know that people fully appreciated how big this album was. I remember when when like when Bon Jovi had kind of risen to prominence, and you know everybody said, "Well, you know they'll kind of fade here." Well, they didn't, and they brought this great album, this New Jersey album out. And again, I don't know there's a bad track on it. Now, let's run through a couple of these real quick here. But, I mean, this was one of those eagerly anticipated albums, and people were like, there's no way that they'll ever, you know, kind of keep this thing up. And then they released Bad Medicine as a single and uh, let the fans shoot the video. And my goodness, man, it was so good. Sam Kennison, of course, was part of that in the beginning. But Bad Madison was fabulous. That single was released on September 3rd and uh, had five top ten hits on this album. Living in Sin was a, a very controversial song at the time, you know, because back in the late 80s, you know, there was still a lot of the moral majority that you, know, you just didn't talk about living together without being uh, married. Lay Your Hands on Me, an iconic song in many respects. And again, Dave Bryan, just a great job there. I'll be there for you. These five words, I swear to you. When you bleed, I want to be the cut in you. How about that? 
Um, yeah, it's bottom line is this is another one of those great tracks. And this was a huge, huge album uh, when it came to record sales. And, you know, when I, you, you begin to think about, okay, well, what's next for, for Bon Jovi and how they continue to capitalize. And they just kept turning out hit after hit after hit. And this thing in the United States alone sold over 7 million copies. That's, fa that's fabulous. Fabulous. My favorite song? It's not Bad Madison. Even though I dig it, it's Born to Be My Baby. That's my first. That's, I love that track. I, th I think it's one of those ones that, uh, that kind of holds up even at this, this late date. You go back and look at it and say, you know what? That's a really good song. But number one for me, and it's the iconic Bon Jovi album, it is Slippery When Wet. And this is when Bon Jovi had really kind of transitioned from being an opening act on a major tour to being a headliner. This is one of those albums that uh, if you were living in the 80s, you knew most of these songs. It was released in 1986, and uh, even to this day, there are multiple tracks from this album that get, get played. And, and one of the things, too, there was the original cover, and the, the record company wouldn't allow it to be released, is uh, let's just say there is a well-endowed woman on the cover that's wearing a slippery when wet shirt that is wet and has some holes in it, and it was rejected, and they only used it in Japan because I guess the Japanese just weren't as depraved as we were, but are uh, so uptight. We were a bunch of prudes back in the late 80s, you know, kind of battling against rock. And so they came out with this, um, you know, this condensation thing with some writing on it. It's still a great album. I think it'd have been a great album no matter what the cover was, but um, so many good songs on this album. Uh, Wanted Dead or Alive is one of those ones that everybody knows. It is an iconic song, and even though you're from New Jersey, John, we'll let you be a cowboy. Um, let It Rock is one, that was the lead track on this album, and we all had it on cassette, right? So it was the first song on the first side. It was phenomenal. Living on a Prayer, an incredible video. Love is a Social Disease, kind of a Kind of a controversial song a little bit too, the way that thing opened. And they wanted that or alive. Another another classic song. Raise Your Hands was great. Without Love was great. I'd Die for You. Another one. Never Say Goodbye was a huge hit. And the Wild in the Streets was probably, even though it was the final song on the album, I wouldn't call it a throwaway. But my favorite song on this album is your favorite song on this album. And that's Shot Through the Heart and You're to Blame. You give love a bad name. What a great way to end the list, man. But uh, Bon Jovi, a great band. And again, they have really turned more adult contemporary, you know, because uh, they're very adult now. You know? you know, we got to know these guys, you know, in their years of debauchery. And of course, John Bon Jovi had the best hair uh, in rock music back then. But um, you know, just so much with this, with this band. I mean, you begin to think about the fact that, you know, these guys have been doing it, man, you know, forever and a day. The self-titled album came out in 1984. You can do the math on that. Bon Jovi's coming up on 40 years as a band and sold a ton of records. I mean, it is ridiculous to think about how many records and posters and T-shirts these guys sold. I mean, just a huge, huge band. And uh, I think it's important to understand, too, that uh, there have been um, very few lineup changes in this band. There are a lot of bands from the 80s, and uh, I go see these guys regularly, and sometimes there's like one original member left. Uh, there are still three original members in this band. Alec John Such was the original bass player, and he was later fired, and Richie Sambor, of course, quit. 
Dave Sabo from Skid Row is also, um, he and John Bon Jovi, friends from way back. Dave sat in with the band for a while, too. Um, so that's interesting. Thought you guys would enjoy the list. A good list for a Friday. We need to do some rock on Fridays. So we'll come back on Monday with another great top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out to me or Roy. Let us know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Roy is at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find him on Spotify and look up these great lists as well. If you don't do Spotify, which I'm one of those people, I'm an Apple Music guy. Our friend Izzy Mandelbaum uh, will put those on the Apple Music list. And you can find that on Roy's tweet. Like, I retweet it, and Roy tweets it. But the, usually the first response is from Izzy. Sometimes he falls behind, and that's okay. He's doing this for free as a service uh, for all of you guys. But uh, thank those guys for their contributions to the show and to the top ten list. But if you've got ideas, let us know. We just might use them. All right, time for our look around the Southeastern Conference, a segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. I love them. I will be there with them soon, too, and I will be there Saturday morning with them uh, before the spring game. So come by and check us out. I guess that's 9 to 10.30, and depending on the rain, maybe it'll be longer, but 9 to 10.30 uh, this Saturday at Campus Bookmart. Eager to uh, see you all uh, there as well. Now, Campus Bookmart has been around forever and a day. Great people doing a great job at a great price. Be sure and go check them out. They've got the latest in Mississippi State merchandise. Stand to man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Just fantastic people. They will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. You're just friends they haven't met yet. You walk in the door and it's like, like going to Cheers. It's like, hey, how are you? Good to see you. So go by and check them out. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50. Absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a look around the SEC. An interesting night. It always is. It always is. The first night of these series. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, big news for Georgia. Jonathan Cannon, their ace and arguably the best starting pitcher in the Southeastern Conference this year, uh, missing his start for the second consecutive week. We have been there before, you know, with JT Gann. You know, JT was an absolute stud for us. And then, you know, and kind of in and out of the lineup. And anytime a guy has to miss a start, it always raises an eyebrow. We've had some guys in the past that other teams that have done that and come back. We hope that's the case uh, for Jonathan Cannon. A very, very talented guy and arguably the best pitcher I have seen in person this year uh, that, you know, doesn't pitch for Mississippi State. Very, very talented guy. They could have used him tonight. A&M with 10 hits in an 8-1 win in Athens, Georgia. You know, strike it up for the Aggies. They're playing much, much better. We're going to have to go out there and play well. They go take that one for number 13, Georgia. It's going to be a big series win for the Aggies. And Sloshnagel's a guy, too, that's like, hey, you, you want to talk to me about expectations? That's cool. We'll just go get it done. Uh, Ole Miss winners against South Carolina tonight. Not a huge surprise. You know, I, I think – you know, Ole Miss will win this series, and I said that. We just need South Carolina to get one. We'd love for them to get two, We'd love, but we need them to get one. Uh, I, I look at this A&M and Georgia thing. Let me back up a second. You know, this A&M and Georgia thing, I think A&M has a golden opportunity here. Now, Georgia will likely rebound tomorrow, and then Sunday kind of I – mean, excuse me, Saturday kind of becomes that rubber game that uh, is – you know, we'll just kind of figure it out. I still think Georgia at home – will find a way to win this series. But if they don't win tomorrow, there's a chance they're possibly getting swept because they're, they're injured a little bit. They're kind of beat up. 
Uh, Ole Miss should take the series of South Carolina. South Carolina is still the only team in the Southeastern Conference with a losing record at 16-17. and 17. Uh, Ole Miss, 9-1 winners. And South Carolina, listen, those guys had eight hits. They just couldn't bunch anything together. LSU and Arkansas, a wild game. Wild game out there in Fayetteville. And Arkansas finds a way to get it done. Uh, and I don't know what our, who our rooting interest is here. And to be honest with you, we're not going to contend really for the SEC West Championship. So I'm, I'm kind of glad to see LSU take the L here. And maybe you disagree. Maybe you do. I think it's going to be fine. But Arkansas gets out to a 2-0 lead. LSU comes back in the sixth to take the 3-2 lead. Arkansas answers back in the bottom of the seventh with three of their own. And now all of a sudden you start looking at this. Okay, now it's a 5-3 to three ball game. LSU gets one in the eighth to make it awfully interesting and then couldn't get it done there in the ninth. But uh, going to be an interesting series for sure up there in Fayetteville. And, of course, you know, Arkansas is looking to bounce back after last weekend. Uh, Kentucky absolutely pounds Missouri 15-6. 22 hits for the Wildcats. That's pretty impressive, right? 22? Goodness gracious. Uh, exciting times for those guys, to say the least. And, um, you know, I still think this Kentucky team will find a way to sneak into the tournament. I, I wish we played them this year. Um, but they are going to be a team that's going to be uh, interesting down the stretch. We need them to kind of help us out a little bit. And so Alabama and Tennessee, that, uh, that I guess that series was – it's probably, I guess it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. But uh, they'll get underway, and then Florida Vanderbilt will get underway too. Yeah, you know, can can you can you pull for Alabama here? You know, I mean, it's like honestly, I think it's probably better for us to pull for Tennessee because Alabama is kind of similarly situated with us. You know, we're kind of right there together, and so we we really need the the chalk to hold in many respects when it comes to teams like Tennessee and Arkansas. We need them to beat up on teams that are going to be around us in the schedule or in the standings, pardon me. Florida's going to be uh, at Vanderbilt. I'm pulling for Florida. You know, we get a chance to play those guys. We don't get a chance to play Vanderbilt. And I think Vanderbilt is, um, is going to be kind of like us. They're going to be kind of battling late to kind of find games to improve their postseason resume. So, yeah, a great night of baseball tonight, and uh, it's a full day of baseball on Friday. And I think that's pretty exciting, too. You know, I, I think this is going to be an interesting weekend. But, um, yeah, I think your series winners. I think Georgia will figure it out. I think Tennessee will certainly handle Alabama. But if Alabama could get one, maybe that's interesting. You know, of course, Tennessee lost earlier this week, Tennessee Tech. I think Arkansas takes a series against LSU. Florida will take a series against Vanderbilt, Ole Miss against South Carolina. Kentucky, I think, takes a series against Missouri. And then Mississippi State, I believe, takes a series against Auburn. So, well, Steve, can we sweep? Yeah, we can. And this is the thing that I would point out, too. As we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, these guys had to use their frontline arms. They invested in getting the game and then didn't get the game. And uh, as – let's just say a player who will not be named may mention everybody on that team knows it. If you're Auburn, everybody knows, hey, we went all in to win today and then we didn't. And you can say, you know, well, Blake Barkhalter only went one in the third innings. He threw 42 pitches. 
that's an awful lot for a closer. Probably burns him for the weekend. You know, maybe he can give you an inning on Sunday. Maybe Skipper can give you an inning on Sunday. He went 46. That's an awful lot. It's an awful lot. And those are high-stress innings, too. It's not like, oh, they went out there and just kind of had a glorified bullpen. But you look at stateside, and you don't know Brooks Auger's availability. I would say no matter the prognosis, he's done for the weekend. Drew Talley, of course, is five pitches. Pico Cone went 21. Maybe he can give you an inning or two on Sunday. Uh, Parker Stinnett, 27 pitches. And, you know, and that was a high-stress inning. And uh, we had kind of a mixed result there. He gets a win. He's a pitcher of record this ballgame. Uh, now four and one on the year. But, uh, you know, that's the thing, too. It's like I read and see these things, and it's like, oh, why do we keep sending these guys out here? Guys don't have anybody else. You know, you're going to see Jackson Fristo pitch at some point, too. I mean, you know, go, I mean, clutch your pearls. I mean, at some point, and listen, Fristo has had some good moments for us this year. You know, it's just a matter of him kind of breaking through. And maybe I like him better in the eighth than I do in the ninth. I think that the outlook on Friday, though, is you hope that Preston can go out there and get you six or seven and that maybe KC can get you home. You know, I think KC kind of has to be that guy. And, and listen, I think if you're Mississippi State, you're all in on Saturday or the game two. I keep getting confused. All week long I've been confused. I don't know what day it is, halftime. Um, but the reality of it is if you can get a quality start from Preston and not let them run his pitch count up, and let's say he gets you six, I mean, you know, KC – is we're starting to see him get more elongated starts. I mean, appearances, pardon me. And so, I think if you're KC, you got to say, you know what, I got to go out here and finish this thing out. I can't give the ball up. I got to go out here and get us one time through the order. And he's been good. He's been good. And, uh, you know, again, it's just kind of getting him back and getting him healthy. But, uh, you know, he's a guy, too, that uh, missed some time. And so, he should be a little bit fresher, I guess, maybe some other guys. But, um, you know, we're going to need him. We're going to need him, and I think that's probably how you kind of put this thing together, Preston and KC on Saturday, and then it's a Johnny Holstaff thing, and you, you hope Cade can give you, you know, six or so in game three, and then you can piece it together. You know, you still got Cam Teller, of course, and Cam is really more of a lefty matchup guy. He's just not been a guy that's been good for more than an, an, an inning at a time, and some of that times it gets away from him. You know, but you start thinking then if we can get a lead – yeah, and just get down to maybe we need nine outs. And that's to mention that Auburn's bullpen is going to be in a much different situation. I think, you know, when, when you look begin to break down the bullpen stuff, you know, the fact that they've already thrown their quality arms sets up pretty well for Mississippi State because we still got some bullets left in the gun there. But, um, you know, looking at uh, Auburn real quickly here, we touched on some of this stuff earlier, but uh, let's take a quick look back you know, at this Auburn Tiger baseball schedule and see how they've done in game twos. It's been a mixed bag. You know, game two, they they win against Texas Tech. That's the Saturday game out there in the State Farm College baseball showdown. They come back, and then the Yale game, of course, they win. It's a doubleheader on Saturday, but they they win game two, 4-3, and then lose 5-4. Uh, the next weekend, it's the Rhode Island thing. I mean, I mean, it's not even worth even talking about. And, again, it's a doubleheader deal. Played a four-game series against those guys. Middle Tennessee, they win that game. And, and this, this game got pushed to Sunday. They win at 10-7. So, they've been competitive in these games. Game two against Ole Miss, they win 19-5. A&M, they lose 5-4-11. Again, a very competitive game. 
and then they lose 9-2 against LSU. That was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal. And then they lose game two against Vanderbilt. And so in recent weeks, you know, the game twos have been a little more difficult for them. So maybe we can make that for them uh, this week. You know, that's the thing, and you begin to think about, you know, we're, we're managing one game at a time. It's not like, okay, let's just win a series and move on. we got to get every one we can get, every single one. You know, looking at these um, – looking at, you know, Trace Bright started that game against Vanderbilt, and he went three and one-thirds of an inning, six hits, six runs, three walks, three strikeouts, 69 pitches. Nice. Carson Swilling pitched. He warmed up some today. Chase Isbell pitched. Cade Grasnow pitched, Tommy Sheehan. So, I mean, they pieced this thing together. But this is a game, too, that got away from them. You know, so you're not throwing, you know, big arms once the game. There's been separation in the game because you got to turn around and play the game on Sunday. And it was kind of like that in the Ole Miss game, too. I mean, w- once the game was kind of out of hand, they really let it get out of hand because they wanted to save some arms and try to win that game on Sunday. And that worked out for him last week. It didn't work out for him against Ole Miss, and uh, it did work out for him against LSU. But it's just, you know, I begin to kind of work through all this, and you begin to think, okay, all right, if Trace Bright is the guy coming out there, you know, the right-hander there, the junior right-hander from Montgomery, Alabama, it hadn't been quite what they wanted as of late. You know, I start looking at these things. You know, he got off to the good start against Kansas State and got a W takes a loss against Yale. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Auburn has lost five consecutive starts that Trace Bright has started. Five consecutive. Dating back to Middle Tennessee. Lose to Middle Tennessee, lose to Ole Miss, lose at A&M, lose at LSU, lose to Vanderbilt. Lose to Vanderbilt. So that gives me some hope for tomorrow because I start thinking here, you know, Preston – was really good last week. And if we're going to see Trace Bright, and to be honest with you, I don't know what Auburn's pitching plans are. Let me, let me double-check that real quick. And, and, yes, it will be Trace Bright and then Gonzalez in game three. And so I began to look at this, and all of a sudden I've become a little more hopeful. You know, you start thinking, okay, you know, hey, this is a guy that has struggled to get people out, and Auburn has scored to, to score some runs in support, and then we're throwing a guy – that, uh, you know, has been very competitive for us. Even when he hadn't had his best stuff, he's been kind of battled through this thing. But when I began to think this, you know, this Trace Bright thing, I mean, he is a uh, 2-3 and three record with a 3.83 ERA, started at games for him, uh, 40 innings pitched, which leads a team, 33 hits, 21 runs, 17 of them earned, 19 walks against 43 cases, allowed nine doubles and three home runs. Opponents hitting 223 against him, four wild pitches. But you begin to look at this and you say, you know what, hey, how, how are they piecing this thing together? But here are, here are his last five starts. And we mentioned that they have lost all five of these, even though he didn't factor in the decision of all of them. You know, against Middle Tennessee in six innings, six hits, three runs, four Ks, three walks. Against Ole Miss, he goes four and a third, five hits, six runs, three of them earned, two walks, five strikeouts. Texas A&M, five innings pitch, six hits, two runs, both of them earned, two walks, six Ks. LSU, four and a third, four hits, three runs, all three of them earned, four walks, six Ks. So you, you see now he's basically walking 
uh, a lot bit more hitters. So people were kind of figuring some things out, probably laying off the breaking stuff. Against Vanderbilt, he goes three and a third, six hits, six runs, uh, three walks, three Ks. So he got off to the great start. He had three big starts to start the thing, allowed just six hits in his first uh, three starts, and all of those went five-plus innings, and then allowed just the one run. But now everybody's got some tape on him, and things are, are changing a little bit. So, you know, this is a guy that has really struggled as of late to get people out and to keep runs off the board. So we got to go out there and make him pay for that. So, uh, again, I feel good about taking a series, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, and we'll talk about this, you know, next week. But, um, you know, a lot could change for Mississippi State if we can find a way uh, to sweep the series. All right, time for the final segment of the show. You know, that means it's Portico, right? You guys have heard me talk about Portico for a while now. When I tell you that if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico, it is not just an advertisement. I like to say the fancy word there, right? It is a great place, man. I would love to be that close to campus, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. From all things, Maroon, you deserve to be near the action. I would love for you to be my neighbor. Even though I live out here in the sticks, you could live right there close to campus. Conveniently located right there off of Highway 12, on the best side of 12, which is the close side to 82, so you can kind of get out and get on the road. You turn off of 82 onto 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll take you to Portico. Very, very, very easy to get to. On the quiet side of campus, so you're close enough for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. Your new neighbors are already entrenched there. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two now under development. You can uh, have a say in how it all goes. You can pick out your lot and have a say in your house plans. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath, and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath. If you've got a growing family, maybe that's the way to go. I would encourage you to check them out. Uh, our friend Brooks Bryan, my friend, your friend, a maroon and white celebrity, and uh, some people dare say call him uh, the legend. And he made that big catch against Washington to rob a home run to send us to Omaha. So that in and of itself is worthy of your respect. Give Brooks a call today for more information, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601 416 8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so Thursday, before I went over to baseball, I spent some time at football. I like to get out there when I can. I commend Paul Jones for being out there every day for us and doing up-to-date depth charts over on the jeanspage.com website. You can go check it out. Even if you're not a subscriber, you can read that. Now, it's, uh, again, kind of for entertainment purposes because we have some guys that are out uh, for spring practice. But you've got a pretty good idea of how things are going. Now, let me share with you some observations that I saw on Thursday. Now, the first thing that I will say is when we signed Caleb Ducking, I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work. From from Rolling Fork, Mississippi, South Delta High School, uh, was a non-qualifier and uh, ended up at Holmes a community college and a run first offense. And so they did not run an offensive scheme that really lended itself to his skill set. But he learned how to play in a run first scheme. It worked out well enough. He comes to camp at Mississippi State, earns a scholarship, and now he's here. You know, he redshirted the first year, and last year down the stretch, he made some good plays for us. 
Guys, he really looks good. You know, he's got that ridiculous catch radius. He's made some one-handed grabs on the sidelines and uh, very, very competitive player. I look for him to make a much bigger contribution this year. Is he going to be the lead dog? No, he's not. But he gives you a real big, healthy X receiver out there uh, that can make some plays outside the numbers. Antonio Harmon, not a burner. We knew that coming in. But the guy is very physical, difficult to guard, gets in and out of his breaks pretty well, great hands. I think he is the guy, too, that benefited from the redshirt year. He looks really strong. When, you, when we take the field, you're going to be impressed. Those of you coming to the scrimmage game on Saturday, I think you're going to be impressed with these wide receivers. Austin Williams, nothing's changed with him. Same guy. Maybe a little bit bigger, faster, stronger. But you know what you're going to get in Austin Williams. Very reliable target for us. Jaden Wiley has been explosive in practice. Talked to a couple coaches today, and they said, hey, he's had his best camp. And, and that's what needs to happen. You know, this is a guy, too, that kind of hurt us with drops a little bit last year. But uh, he is a guy, too, that once he gets the ball, because he is so fleet of foot, he can get right by you. Tulu's done some big things. You expect that Rufus Harvey having his best camp. And Rufus, a guy, too, again, not a burner, has a much bigger catch radius than you'd expect for a guy his size. Again, made some big plays today. One of the guys that I think has really made a jump, and uh, Coach uh, Mike Leach kind of confirmed it in our post-practice comments, is Jameer Calvin. I think we're seeing the best of Jameer Calvin right now. So I feel really good about these receivers. And you've got some more guys coming along, and, and there's still this whole thing with Teddy Knox. I mean, I, you know, I don't expect him back, but I think that he has made a mistake. And I think that it is pretty apparent at this point that um, – you know, he's not going to end up at LSU. I think that is probably apparent. Maybe he ends up at UL Lafayette, uh, maybe Tulane. You know, we'll see how things progress. But um, I think that he is a guy that at this point could probably go mend the fence and go back, but I don't know that for certain. I, I really don't. I don't expect that to happen. Uh, the running backs look great. We still get a lot of comments about, you know, Bull Hargrove, a guy that, uh, you know, this he looks like an SEC player. And there are a lot of guys out there sometimes think, hey, what's he play? No, this guy, he, he jumps out. And our backs look really good. Very physical, running well after the catch. Be eager to see how Simeon Price looks when fall camp begins. But uh, running back position pretty well stocked. Offensive line, interior line looks good. It does. Dollar Bill out there today. Cam Jones out there uh, kind of laying some haymakers out there today. Very physical player. And I'll be honest with you, Cam Jones has exceeded my expectations. When we signed him, I thought, well, he's probably just going to be another guy, arguably the most versatile guy in our offensive line room. You know what you're getting with LaQuinson Sharp. You know, Cole Smith's a guy, too, that's somewhat limited in spring practice. But uh, you, you know what you get there, too. But Stephen Lasoy is a guy, very versatile guy, can play up and down the line, l likely a guard for us. And Albert Reese, a guy that really wants to get better at football. A guy that really works hard, too. You can see him out there. and, and there's a, He has a tendency at time to play high. You know, he needs to dip his hips a little bit more and kind of engage and not get walked back to the quarterback. That happens sometimes. But I think we're going to see a real upgrade at right tackle. Percy's coming along, too. We could use another tackle, though. And I think that's a focus as we get into the portal. Now, on the defensive side of the football, you know, I think our defensive line group's going to be really good. I mean, really, really good especially when we get everybody back. I mean, Pickering was out there running around today. He had a full contact jersey on. 
Uh, they're still being careful with Jaden Crumity and Cam Young is a guy too that uh, not getting much in the way of reps, but uh, a guy that really has nothing left to prove. You know what you're going to get in Cam Young. Uh, Jordan Davis still out there running around in a yellow no contact jersey, but in drills he looks to be running and performing at a pretty high level. I think we're going to get the best version of Jordan Davis once this team takes the field. So I think our front is going to be deeper and much improved over last year. And there were times last year they were outstanding. We just struggled at times to generate a pass rush without bringing a blitz. And I think Jordan Davis helps with that. Tyrus Wheat is an absolute freak. And uh, a guy that we struggled to block last year in practice, that's kind of the case now too. And he's only going to make a guy like Albert Reese better. So, again, I feel really good about that group. Now, I am concerned at linebacker. I love our first-teamers. Uh, I do think losing Aaron Brule really hurts our depth. And Aaron's a guy, too, that missed a ton of tackles last year. He, did, he just did. That's just the reality of life. He missed a ton of tackles. But he is a guy that could be a two-deeper this year, too. And I think when he struggled last year, you know, Jet Johnson stepped up and Jet broke his hand earlier in practice this week or two weeks ago. Uh, so he is somewhat limited. But he will be full go come camp. He's still doing some things. He's not out there just kind of wandering around. But I think that that frontline group is going to be really good. I don't know that it wouldn't behoove us to not go get a linebacker in the portal, even if they're two deeper. Because I think, you know, there is a big gap between the first-teamer and the second-teamers. Tamar Rogers still really undersized. I mean, he's a guy that plays with a lot of energy. He's a guy that has some athleticism. But he's not – he doesn't really impress you physically. You know, again, he's still young, still developing – you know, Nick Mitchell was a guy that looks pretty good on the hoof, but he hadn't really flashed so far in the practices that I've attended. And so I think this young class that we're bringing in, you know, with uh, Jave Gilmore and, and uh, you know, Khalid Moore and um, Avery Sledge, I think those guys will likely catch and surpass some of the guys on this depth chart within the next year or two. I like the guys we have recruited – this class better than the ones we did the year before and that's just kind of being honest with you and so I think you know if you have to rely on a young linebacker this year that's probably not a great thing so we've got to stay healthy at linebacker I think that is a group right now that uh, is a little bit questionable you simply can't afford to take an injury there uh, corners I think the Cambrian Richardson looks outstanding and uh, talking to one of our coaches today they say the light has really come on for him he has always had the athleticism but, of course, was learning a new position. And to be honest with you, he might be more athletic than Martin Emerson. I think his foot speed's a little bit better. And you know the quality of snaps we got from Martin Emerson. So I think your frontline corners, you know, with Emmanuel Forbes and the DCAM are outstanding. Marcus Banks, a little bit banged up, but he did some good things early in camp. I think you're going to be pretty solid there. And DeCarlos Nicholson, another guy that's not scared to mix it up out there. So I think corners, even though with the loss of Martin Emerson – I think this corner group's going to be really good. Jay Banks, the guy still kind of figuring some things out, but has really good athleticism. We have moved William Hardrick from corner to receiver. And I don't think that necessarily means a lot about receiver or about William Hardrick. I think it kind of speaks to the depth we have at the position. The safeties have actually been pretty good in practice, and uh, I still think we need to take another one in the portal. Sean Preston running around doing a good job out there. And listen, Sean's a guy that's been a reliable player for us at times. Uh, really good in run support and needs to be a little better in pass coverage, but uh, 
has shown some flashes out there and made some plays. And I think he's going to be a, a very outstanding player for us. And then, uh, you know, Jalen Green's another guy that uh, you look out there and you know, you, you can see him and say, this is a former five-star guy. But, you know, again, the depth behind them. You know, you don't want to have to go out there. You know, Jackie Matthews is a guy, obviously, that can play for us too, but uh, probably need to get another one. And so, if I, if there are three spots, I think, left to work with, provided uh, Dakota comes to school. And that is kind of trending more in the right direction. I think you look at that and say, okay, if I, if I had my druthers, I would get an offensive tackle, a linebacker, and a safety. To me, that makes the most sense. I think you're going to be pretty solid everywhere else. And, and the thing about it is, too, and there's so many people I don't think that fully appreciate this, you're not going to get much value out of your third-team quarterback or even your third-team receivers, and in many cases, your third-team running backs. But you get a ton of snaps out of your third-team backers and your third-team safeties and DBs because they're going to play a ton of special teams for you. So you need some athleticism there. And so I think it kind of behooves Mississippi State to go out and get a reserve linebacker and a safety, even if for no other reason but to provide some depth and to work on special teams. But I feel good about the group. I think Will Rogers has looked really good in practice. Uh, as one coach told me today, you know, Steve, he gets it. He, he gets it. He understands it, making decisions better. And I asked Mike Leach to kind of confirm that. He did say he thinks Will has taken a jump this year. Uh, Will Rogers, a guy, too, considering the, the, uh, the numbers he has put up, it kind of unfairly maligned at time by Mississippi State fans. But uh, based on what I have seen, I do think he has taken a step forward. And more importantly, Mike Leach seems to think that too. So I think that bodes well for the season. And, and uh, for those of us that can make it out there Saturday, I think it will be a lot of fun. The game will be available uh, to be streamed on uh, the ESPN app. I don't know if it's televised live, uh, but we're going to practice. I don't know what that means uh, you know, for you guys, supposed to rain some on Saturday. But in um, speaking of that, good chance that we play Saturday baseball in the evening, uh, which kind of throws a wrench in some plans that I had because I had planned to head down to Brandon to go watch Megadeth and those guys play at the Brandon Amphitheater. So may not be able to make the show, but uh, we'll be here to cover baseball. Uh, look forward to doing that. That's going to do it for today. I'll be back with you guys on Monday. And uh, I want to remind you guys, too, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. You'll be glad you did. It's high-quality merchandise at a great price there. And uh, kind of identify yourself. You know, as somebody, of course, that uh, you come to Starkville, we may be hospitable, but when we get between the lines, we don't mind wearing the black hat. We're going to do whatever it takes to win. That's going to do it for today, man. You guys have a great weekend. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.